0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 31, and we are recording on Wednesday, June 1st. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. And on this show specifically, we have a theme, which we rarely do these days, but for this show, we're going to be talking about your questions for the Read Harder Challenge, which is a reading challenge that we have up on the site. That we've This is the second year that we've done it, um, and I think it's 50, te- no, 24 tasks. Yes, yeah, two a month right? Yes. yes. Math is fundamentally yes. 24 <laughs> tasks. And uh, it's designed by Rachel Manuel, who is one of our OG contributors. She's been around since the beginning. Uh, and it's great. The, the The challenge is designed to get you out of your reading comfort zone. So genres you've never tried before, authors you've never tried before, that sort of thing. And so we've gotten a lot of questions about uh, people needing help with tasks for that. So that's what we are going to be answering today. Um, before we do that, Jen has some Book Riot Live news that she wants to get Oh, through. yeah. <laughs> I'm like,
1: doing a dance over here. So I don't know if you've been paying attention to Book Riot Live, but we just announced today, June first, that we have Walter Mosley. Yeah, uh, like freaking out. <laughs> um, so Walter Mosley, who is like a legend, he's the author of the Easy Rollins mystery series. He's won a Grammy. The man is like amazing. I saw that
0: in the the post that you wrote about it. And I know.
1: What did he win a Grammy for? I don't even know. Who cares? Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's written so many amazing books. Um, I like was thinking about it this morning, and I like wanted. To do a whole show that's nothing about, like, nothing but like recommending Walter Mosley books. But anyway, um, he's going to be a book Riot live, so therefore you should too. Uh, and we're so excited <laughs> that we extended the early bird discount to the end of this month. So you now have until June 30th to get $40 off your tickets, which are also VIP tickets still, which gets you early access to. Um, special rsvp panels which there will be um because we got walter (laughs) mosley uh and so you should go to you're so fancy (laughs) (laughs) then we so fancy yeah it's true true. you should go to bookriotlive.com and check that out um so yes okay okay reading challenges i also should say that i snuck in a question or two uh that were for other reading challenges that looked interesting so it's not just read harder but it's mostly read harder
0: yeah Okay, so if you don't know how this podcast works, it's, like I said, a personalized reading recommendation show, so you send us your questions um, for book recommendations that you need. If you've read something that, you know, shattered your soul into a thousand pieces and you want to read something to help you recover, if you need something for your book club or a gift, whatever, doesn't matter. We will answer any and all of your reading recommendation questions, so you can send them to us. Um, you can send them to me on Twitter. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Oh, wait, are you back? I'm back. May. I mean, May I is haven't logged in yet, but I'm back. It's June. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jen was on a Twitter hiatus for May, but now is june so you can send them to jen as well she's at jen irl with two n's um email them to it. get at or at the bottom of every post for the show on the site there is a form you can drop your question into as well and that is how you send us questions okay question one well we'll read the first question and then do our first sponsor and then answer it yes okay as we always do
1: <laughs> the first question is from jamie and this question was also asked by ellie so this is like a joint question uh Question is, I'm going to try to do the Book Riot Read Harder Challenge this year, and one category that I'm super interested in but do not where, know where to start is feminist nonfiction. I've read Bad Feminist and I loved it, but I don't know where
0: to go next. Okay, um, so our first sponsor is the Book of the Month Club, which you have probably heard of <laughs> because it has been around for 90 years, which it I is didn't in know. 90 years? Yes! Wow, that's yes. amazing. So it's gotten kind of a like a facelift and a revamp, and they're doing really interesting things with it now. They So obviously they don't use any algorithms. They pull in readers and judges to help pick the titles that uh, they send you every month. So some of the judges have been like David Sedaris, Whoopi Goldberg, Ellie Kemper, who is, um, oh my gosh, what's her name? The Red...
1: Ah. She's in she's uh she's on uh, oh gosh, what's the show? I know. Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> Unbreakable. Yes, thank King you. Shit.
0: Yes, from the Unbreakable Yes, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I love that show. Although the second season a little shaky. Anyway, we don't have to get into that. <laughs> um journalists from Esquire and Oprah and also notably Liberty Hardy from uh, book right? Obviously, uh, is our re- resident velocity reader, and is a co-host of the All the Books show with Rebecca. Um, she is one of the judges, also, and the, they have guest judges every month. And the guest judge for June is Roxane Gay, who oh, wrote Bad Feminist. Nice. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so the way it works is you—they pick five books. The judges select five new hardcover books every month, and then you pick the one that you want out of those five and they send it to you in the mail. None of the uh, If none of the titles stand out to you, you're not interested in any of the books for the month, you can just skip the month and they extend your membership another 30 days, which is nice. And um, the prices for the hardcovers are actually lower than the prices on Amazon and you can add more books to your box every month and they're just $9.99 and shipping is free. So for June, just to give you kind of a taste of the stuff that they pick, the selections are Modern Lovers by Emma Straw, which just came out Oh, it's so yesterday. good, I really liked it. Yeah, Shrill by Lindy West, uh, Veins of the Ocean by Patricia Engel, which was just in the Riot Roundup for the best books we read in May. Um... That Went up today, Before the Fall by Noah Holly and Enchanted Islands by Allison Amend. And you can, um, you know, see more, learn more about those particular books and see past selections from other months at Book of the um, And if you sign up with our podcast code, which is June Riot, all one word, June the Month, riot, like Book Riot, obviously, you get 30% off of a three month membership. So thank you very much to Book of the Month for sponsoring the show. And now we're going to answer the question. So, um, Feminist Nonfiction. I'm already talking, so I'm just going to keep talking. Okay. Um, My first pick for you is very short. It's We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, which is the book version of a TED Talk that she gave, which you can watch on YouTube, and I do recommend it. Um, It's like 20 minutes or something like that. It's pretty short. But the thing that I like about We Should All Be Feminists is it's very, it's international, so she's talking about feminism both in America and in Nigeria, which is where Chimamanda is from, Um, and it's very Feminism 101, right? So why we should all be feminists and the issues that women face in Nigeria and in America and why um, not just women should be feminists, why men and women should be feminists uh, because, you know, the patriarchy is bad for dudes also, and everyone in between. Uh, so, yeah, it's really short, and uh, you could just watch the TED Talk, but I do like the book. It's very pretty. It's, it's, it is nice. And also, the for the record, the TED Talk was sampled by Beyonce. What? Yeah, so, I mean, what else do you what else do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> what more do you want from me, Internet? I can't adjust this. Um, anyway, so, yeah, very simple, and if you liked Bad Feminist, um, I feel like they have that similar kind of 101 feel, like very introductory, Um but it's a little more, not academic, uh, but whereas Roxane Gay, I feel like, is using a lot of humor. Chimamanda is not, it's not, like, to make you laugh. It's that's very, like, very serious stuff that she's dealing with. But introductory. So We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie.
1: Nice. Uh, my first pick is technically a memoir. It's not actually, like, a treatise on feminism, but Chanda Rhymes is super interesting and is definitely a feminist, and her memoir, Year of Yes, How to Dance It Out, Stand in the Sun, and Be Your Own Person, was so <laughs> unexpectedly good. Like, <laughs> I, I, unexpectedly. I'm always... I, like, keep being surprised at how much I loved it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what I like about this book is, so I've been working on my intersectional feminist reading, um, intersectional feminism being uh, trying to recognize that there are different intersections of identity that can change how you experience the world. Like if you're a person of color, if you're a woman of color, if you're a trans person, all of these things change how the patriarchy impacts you. Um, and so I've been trying to read uh, in that regard. And Shonda Rams is kind of famous for bringing diversity to tv like her yeah. shows actually reflect the way the world really looks uh which is sadly very rare and so um this is really interesting peek behind the scenes at the person who has been doing that and she's obviously got incredibly strong female characters and um really interesting you know commentary in her shows on like can women have it all et cetera. Et cetera. <laughs> all of those feminist questions uh she's kind of coming at it from the side view of her own life um And the sort of basic premise of this memoir is that she discovers over the course of a conversation with her sister that she's, like, just saying no to all of these opportunities in her life because she's afraid. Uh, You wouldn't think that somebody like Shonda Rhimes would be afraid of life, but she is. And uh, so she decides that for a whole year, she's going to say yes to the things that are scary to her. Um, And that includes everything from, like, you know, going on... To, like late night talk shows to mm. learning how to say no to people she doesn't want to say no to. So it's not just like, yeah, you should say yes to everything in your life. It's like, <laughs> no, you should learn how to face the things that are scary in a good and productive way um, as a woman. And a lot of the things she's talking about are very feminist. Uh, so like how to deal with like you know, the expectations in the workplace, or your own body issues, or, you know, whether or not you want to get married, like all of these things. So I think, and she's so funny also, obviously, mm-hmm. she's so funny. And if you're an audiobook uh, person, she reads her audiobook. And she's obviously got an amazing voice and cadences and is incredible. So I highly recommend The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhymes.
0: And this is the part of the show where I feel like I do this every week. I talk about how much I love Scandal and how much I (laughs) want. Olivia Pope to strangle Fitz with her thighs until he's dead because he is the worst character on television. It's around. a very so specific way. I really well, there's, there's some symbolism yeah, there yeah, because no, she's like it, the I super strong female <laughs> character, right? Who makes these idiotic decisions because she can't stop yeah. sleeping with this man. I feel like if she just strangled him with her thighs, it would be a very simple. Symbol- I think you know what I've read, read too many novels. But anyway, <laughs> I need metaphor. <laughs> so, my second pick for you, <laughs> moving on from my scandal rant, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is Sex Object by Jessica Valenti, which is not out yet, it comes out June 7th, so by the time the show goes up, which I think is tomorrow, they will have, like, a week, but you can wait a week, it's fine, just pre-order it. Uh, so, this is not her first book, she wrote a book about, uh, in a, like, 101 fashion called Full Frontal Feminism, a couple of years ago, this is more memoir-y, um, but takes Man, this was challenging for me, which is why I'm recommending it because I consider myself to uh, be—I don't even know how to put it. Like, I'm an intersectional feminist. I try to think really thoughtfully about sex positivity and body positivity and all this kind of stuff. Um, And this made me feel like such a prude. (laughs) This book did. Okay, so it's a memoir, and she starts from when she was a, you know, like a young adolescent girl and started to get. Hit on by men on the street as most young, adolescent girls are, uh, but you know, before you're really understanding what they're saying to you or um, what it means or any of that, and then how that affects you growing up. And then so she takes all, she like internalizes all of that awful stuff that happens to women on the street when they're young and then starts making really. Ah, see like I'm going to say she starts making really bad decisions about sleeping with men who are really bad for her but like are they bad decisions because she's just doing what she wants to do I don't see like this is Mm -hmm, where it's complicated mm -hmm. for me Um, because I get like really no Jessica stop doing coke and sleeping with those guys like that's not no bad idea Um, but is it so is it a bad idea like does it does it actually uh, matter probably not so it's not just an examination of how women are looked at as sexual objects from from Early, early life, way, way, way before it's even mildly appropriate to how it continues um, through adulthood and into your professional life, into your relationships, into pretty much every decision that you make when you're interacting with a male in the, you know, in the patriarchal society that we live in. Um, and it'll really make you kind of examine, especially if you grew up in any sort of puritanical um, religious atmosphere, which I did. It will definitely make you take a second look at your own ideas about sex positivity and judging other women for who they do or do not choose to sleep with and that sort of stuff. So it's really interesting. And Jessica Valenti is, of course, a really well-known feminist writer right now. She writes for The Guardian and a a bunch of other places. So I like her a lot. So that's Sex Object by Jessica Valenti and it comes out June 7th.
1: My second pick is a collection of essays from Sandra Cisneros, amazing (laughs) Sandra Cisneros, who wrote The House on Mango Street, is why you might have heard of her, um, among many other good books. Uh, But so this essay collection, A House of My Own, is a compilation of essays that start from when she was writing House on Mango Street, or even slightly before, up till like now. Um, So it's a look at a really, you know, long, amazing career, Um, I think it's something like 20 years total. Uh, and, but it's also super interesting because, so she is a feminist and, and you can tell from her writing, you know, she considers her fiction social commentary, she said. Um, and she's, she's done a lot of work for Chicana uh, identity in particular. Um, and so this is a really fascinating look at sort of her own life and how she, what her own experiences are that have shaped that writing, um, how she's dealt with, you know, these questions in her own life. And she's, uh, she's such a good storyteller, as you might expect. Um, there's this great essay about, uh, when she was living, she got to, like, go stay on this island, this Greek island, um, and she was working on House on Mango Street, and it's, uh, like, really like, so evocative and beautiful but also not just like you know oh everything's great I'm like on an island using a typewriter yeah. to type my novel like she's struggling with real things like how is she going to have a career and there's this man that she's been sort of organizing her life around and now she's got to stop doing that and um and then you know there's a beautiful like so sad uh um transcript of a speech she wrote um about um Sarajevo and a friend who lived there like I, I was like was actually probably crying when I was reading that um, and then you know thoughts on her favorite writers um, including Marguerite Duras and like all of these different things so I, I mean it's kind of like again it's not a straightforward like tome of feminist you know rhetoric like it's a very yeah. interesting look at one woman's life and how she is uh, creating a life for herself so I really I I, I don't know I kind of I, I I, felt like I should have picked when I read this question I was like I should pick like actual books on feminism but <laughs> I kind of hooks I'm, yeah exactly which like you should read for sure yes. but I also really kind of like to come at it sideways sometimes and like look at the women who inspire me and see how they've been living their lives so that is A House of My Own stories from my life by sandra cisneros
0: okay question two this is from Gian. Uh, she says i'm doing the read harder challenge but i was wondering if you know of any books where the main character or supporting character has to deal with mental illness um bonus points for being bipolar or bipolar too if not then maybe characters who have to deal with rage issues these are things i struggle with myself characters don't have to be ladies but since i am one that would be extra cool thanks again hope to see you in, in new york in november we also yes. hope to see you in new york in november all right. Um, so I'll go first. I didn't you didn't specify if you wanted fiction or nonfiction, although I, you said characters, so maybe you meant fiction. But anyway, I picked one novel and one memoir because cover my bases. And so the nonfiction book that I picked for you is Prozac Nation by Elizabeth Wurtzel. And let me just asterisk this right here, because Elizabeth Wurtzel is, is problematic um, these days. She wrote Presignation about her childhood and her young adulthood dealing with bipolar disorder. And now she's in her, like, 40s or 50s. And she she writes some really questionable stuff about feminism that I do not always agree with. So, grain of salt, whatever. Um, But this book I loved and read when I was 16 and deep in, like, the, you know, you know when you're 16. Like, deep in the depths of my angst or whatever. And so I just, like, highlighted every other sentence and left it around hoping my mom would read it. That kind of weird passive-aggressive stuff that teenagers do. Um, so she starts off talking about growing up in New York and her parents split up and she starts exhibiting really strange behavior. I mean, like she's very precocious as a kid, but she starts having all these behavioral problems and, and lashing out and making all these really um, unwise life choices as a kid. And she continues doing that throughout her teenage years and she starts feeling depressed she starts hurting herself um, she starts feeling suicidal and then eventually she gets into therapy and realizes and she's diagnosed um, she gets put on medication and then the the memoir follows her through her journey of like trying medications that don't work trying therapists that don't work um making really unhealthy uh developing really unhealthy connections with her therapists that lead to all sorts of shenanigans and then she goes to college and is poor and by herself without much support and has to deal with her illness, you know, in that, um, what am I say Context. Uh, so it's really moving and, and very dark, obviously. Um, Memoir, and it's not necessarily like I know. I, th- I feel like a lot of books about bipolar disorder, especially memoirs about bipolar disorder, have very happy end. Like, and then I got on this really great medication, and I found a great therapist, and everything's great now. It can be great for you too. And that's not necessarily how this book ends. Um, and since Elizabeth Wirchel is still alive and writing, and still writing about her struggle with bipolar disorder, then you can kind of see. Uh, it's an interesting thing to read and then look at her career and her life now. Uh, so, yeah, that's Prosignation by Elizabeth Wurtzel. The writing is really great. She can write a sentence like nobody else. Oh, and she also wrote a book called Bitch about um, difficult women and how great they are. That would be good for the first question if you're still if you're still listening. Bitch by Elizabeth Wurtzel. It's great.
1: Uh, okay, I, yeah, I picked two memoirs. I did look for some fiction, but I couldn't find any that I had read or had recommended uh, that had bipolar specifically. So I went with memoirs. Um, but before I say my first pick, I want to shout out a post that Sarah Davis did um, just like a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's 100 must read books about mental illness. We'll put a link in the show notes. And she's got like, she did it in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's got a huge range of books on different kinds of mental illness. It's got fiction, it's got nonfiction Um Um, It's really great, so you should check that out. Uh, My first pick for you is one that, when it came to the bookstore, when I was working at the bookstore, we, like, hand-sold a bajillion of it. Uh, It's Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me by Ellen Forney. It is a memoir, graphic, graphic memoir, that's what it's called. Not a memoir, graphic novel. That's a weird (laughs) combination of words. (laughs) That's not a thing, That's not a real thing. Uh, so, So, Ellen Forney is a cartoonist, and right before her 30th birthday, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So she had adult onset, um, which is really scary. And, uh um, So she's, and she's, you know, an artist. So she was terrified that medication would mean that she would lose her creativity and her artistic spark Um, because a lot of people report feeling, you know, dull or, you know, losing part of themselves when they're on medication. But obviously this is like, she can't just not do anything. So this is the start of a, you know, years long struggle to try to become a healthy person while still retaining you know, the essence of herself and her creativity and her work. Um, and she's not only talking about her own life, she's also looking at artists and writers who suffer from mood disorders because it's very common. So, you know, Van Gogh, Georgia O'Keeffe, Sylvia Plath. Um, and she's talking about the research of, you know, bipolar disorder and it's all sort of, you know, in this beautiful, I love her art style so much. It's a gorgeous book. Um, and it's, she's pretty funny. Uh, it's also obviously very dark. Um, and, uh, and she does it all in black and white. And so it looks really cool. Um, and she's a good writer. So this is a really interesting graphic memoir. Uh, funny, but also very realistic. She's got the research. She's got the art side of it. And she's struggling with, you know, what do you do if you don't want to take the medications because you feel like you're going to lose part of yourself. So that's Marbles
0: by Ellen Forney. Okay, so my second... Pick was also a movie that uh, won several. I pretty sure. love that movie for the record. I, yes! This
1: is one of those instances where I actually liked the movie better than the book, don't you? Girl, me.
0: get off my show. I'm sorry. Just Kidding, no, I agree with you, it is better. Nicole Kidman, and the... No, anyway, uh, yeah, um, anyway, so uh, it's The Hours by Michael Cunningham, and it's a three, so it's three perspectives. The first one is like the perspective of Virginia Woolf, who wrote Mrs. Dalloway, and it starts with her living in a London like out on the suburbs of London, kind of in the countryside in the 20s with her husband, and she's recovering from her latest, like, I think, a manic episode. Um, so she's out in the middle of nowhere, she's really not dealing with it well because she she likes London and the bustle and the the kind of vibrancy that the city has um, so that's the first perspective. The second one is a character named Clarissa, who in the movie is Meryl Streep, yay, um, who is the friend of a poet who's dying from AIDS, who's just won a prize, and she's putting on a dinner party for him. And she's supposed to be Mrs. Dalloway, right? Like, she's the character of Mrs. Dalloway from the Virginia Woolf novel. And then the third character is a woman named Laura, who lives in L.A. in the suburbs in 1949, and is married and has a child and is, I think, just found out that she's pregnant, and she's a housewife, and she's slowly suffocating under that. Um, and is reading. Mrs. Dalloway. So the author, the character and the reader. Uh, It won a Pulitzer Prize in 1999 and each of these characters is dealing with mental illness in their own different way. Clarissa um, herself doesn't have any sort of mental illness that's talked about in the book but her best friend who's dying of AIDS obviously is suffering from some depression. Virginia Woolf herself was depressed obviously. She committed suicide Um, and then Laura is also depressed. So there's a lot of grappling with mental illness in this book and um, it does follow Virginia Woolf up until the end of her life Um, and that's And the movie is also great, so plug for the movie. If you do read the book, even if you don't, go watch it. It's really great. Uh, So that's The Hours by Michael Cunningham.
1: And my second pick, another artist, I just realized, uh, is Rat Girl by Kristen Hirsch, another memoir. Uh, So Kristen Hirsch was the lead for Throwing Muses, a band you might have heard of if you're into the indie rock scene. Um, And she left home at 15 and, like, (laughs) uh you know, was, like, in college, um, and trying to do this band, and they was maybe gonna ma- get a major label deal, and then she got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, and so she started medication and then discovered that she was pregnant. So, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of stuff to have to deal with. Um, all true. So this is, uh, her look at that year of her life. Um, it's 1985. She's, like, you know, she's got a band that's maybe going to be successful then she's diagnosed with bipolar disorder then she finds out she's pregnant um she's a great writer this book uh it's, it's been on my tbr list since it came out it's been recommended to me like a million billion times by a lot of people so i haven't read it myself but it's been recommended to me by people i trust um and she's a super interesting person like if you google her you'll see interesting things so uh that is rat girl by kristen hirsch okay oh Oh, that's it yeah uh all right so question three uh i'm doing the 2016 read harder challenge and could really use some suggestions for the book about politics i'm open to either fiction or nonfiction and have a very definite preference for something progressive any and all suggestions are greatly appreciated all right. Well, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, so I like my um, politics side of history. I have a hard time reading like straight up like political polemics. <laughs> yeah, I just not my thing. So, f- keeping that in mind, um, my first pick for you has been recommended by book writer slash, uh, host of O Comics podcast Prithi, Uh for like she's like cannot shut up about it. <clears throat> it is <laughs> in the best possible way, um, but it's true she, like, she'll tell you. She can't stop talking about it. It's The Making of Asian America a History by Erica Lee, and what Lee has done has gone, like, all the way back to the 1500s, um, who, like, sailors, you know, from, like, Pacific ships, um, and then looked at, uh, from that point on, the history of Asian immigrants in America. And this is a side of the United States history that really has gotten very little attention. Like, I I was thinking about it the other day, and I was like, I think I knew that the Chinese worked on the railroads, maybe. (laughs) But, like, you know, you don't get taught this stuff. Um, And Lee is doing a ton of work to fix that. So, you know, she's looking at um, the immigrants who were recruited to work in the United States only to get here and face discrimination and exclusion laws. And then, you know, for example, the plight of the Japanese during World War II when they were put in the... um, I mean, they were basically concentration camps, internment internment camps is what they were called, uh, because of, you know, the fight with Japan. um, Although that's like a total bullshit. Anyway, okay. Um, And (laughs) so, (laughs) and then looking up into the modern, you know, look at um, Asian Americans as the quote unquote model minority. So she's looking at like the whole shebang. And it's a really amazing work, and it was published in time to commemorate the 50th 50th anniversary of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965 that has like really reshaped um, immigration policy in America. So this is a look at both present politics and past politics and how they have shaped each other, which I think is super interesting. So that is The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee.
0: Okay, my first pick is Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. So good. (laughs) I know. Um, Which is written in kind of epistolary format. It's a letter that he's writing to his son, who is, uh, I think, 15 or 16, um, about what it is like to be a black man in the United States and to grow up uh, here and the sort of specific, not sort of, the specific challenges that his son will face. And so he uses that format to not only, you know, write this thing to his child, but also to... Take a really deep dive into the whole and the like the entire concept of the American dream and how it, the American dream is great if you're white, but in reality, um, it requires and depends on the subjugation of black people and other minorities in this country because without that setup, uh, the American dream would be an impossibility, uh, which is entirely true. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a dismantling of this uh, of a lot of like the. How to phrase it Like Americans seem to We worship at the altar Of the American dream right We worship at the altar Of the founding fathers And this this like mythology The great mythology Of what America is And is supposed to be And we like to kind of pretend Like it had nothing to do With slavery And it had nothing to do With the genocide Of the Native American populations That were already here And it has nothing to do With white supremacy Or sexism But in reality It has something to do With all of those things And without all of those things America and the American dream Could not exist um, And that's what The book is really about About what it's like To live in a black body That this kind of Country really values only um, for the usefulness that it has in letting white people succeed. Um, So it's obviously a little bit of a controversial pick, but. Um, you know, I don't know how you can really disagree with the things that he's saying and the points that he's making. He's a great writer, he's very eloquent and of course since it's written to his boy there's a lot of emotion in it um, which, I don't know, just made it more affecting to me. I have two sons, but you know they're white so they're not going to have to deal with any of this kind of stuff um, but I do want them to know that it's real and that it exists. So yeah, so that's Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates
1: Okay, my second pick is one that's on my TBR pile um, after Hannah wrote a post- Last year?
0: Oh yeah, the about the guns. Yeah, about yeah. gun.
1: Uh, it was about politics and gun control, and she did this whole reading list, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But this book is called "The Second Amendment: A Biography" by Michael Waldman, and he is the president of the Brennan Center for Justice at the NYU School of Law. Um, and what he is doing is, I love that title, "The Second Amendment: A Biography," like yeah. it's not a biography of an amendment. But what he's doing is taking a deep dive into history to look at like. Why was the amendment written, and then how has it been interpreted in successive years after it was introduced. Um, Because, you know, you see a lot of stuff about the Second Amendment get tossed around. And I realized as I was looking at Hannah's post, I was like, I don't know anything about it. Like, I have some vague notion of, like, Paul Revere and militias, but I, like, that's (laughs) that's ridiculous. That's not information.
0: Uh, The Second Amendment as Paul Revere. Right, like, that's, like, blues,
1: clues, like, level knowledge of anything. So, So, time to educate myself. Um... And, uh, so this book is looking at, right, like I said, like, you know, the original passing of the debate, um, the debate in the 70s, like, with, you know, the rise of libertarianism, and then you've got the NRA, like, getting in on things. Um, and then, you know, things that went to the Supreme Court, uh, apparently in 2008, it was a case that th- when they first ruled that the Constitution protects the individual right to gun ownership. So, like, this, it's all super important and interesting information, um, that I feel like... is probably not weighted in any particular political direction, but provides the context for everything that's going on right now. Uh, So that is The Second Amendment, a biography by Michael Waldman. Woo, I can talk. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, uh my second pick for this one is Nickel and Dimed on Not Getting By in America by Barbara Ehrenreich. I am so glad you
1: picked that book cuz I forgot, but I read that when I was a retail like worker and it changed my life.
0: Yeah, yeah, I read it in college um for my one of my education classes oddly and like whatever. Anyway, that's a rabbit hole that's not relevant. Um so uh, Barbara Ehrenreich is a journalist and she as a New York Times, I think for the Times. Anyway, so it's like an undercover book. She goes undercover in a couple of different states, Florida, uh, Minnesota, I think, in Maine, and takes minimum wage jobs to see if you can survive on them. So the book was written in the early 2000s. I think it came out in 2001 or 2002. Um, And, of course, the welfare reform thing was a big deal back then, and a lot of the rhetoric around welfare and um, the minimum wage is that if you just get a job, you know, any job, Your life will automatically be better and you can get off welfare, but just get any kind of job. Like this pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of um, language that we use to talk about the working poor here. So she decided to go out and see what it actually is like to be the working poor. So she got a job as a waitress, which a lot of us have done, Um, a maid. uh, She worked as an aide in a nursing home. She worked at Walmart. Uh, And so the thing that she's discovering here is that you can't. You can't survive and expect to have a house with a roof and four walls working minimum wage you need at least two jobs and minimum wage jobs are most often the most mentally and physically taxing um so it's not just that you're putting in as much effort as somebody who works a knowledge job uh you're putting in twice as much effort in all in the multiple jobs that you have to have to survive um and she talks about how the working poor are most often like there's a lot of gender and racial divides amongst the working poor um, and she's just really dismantling this idea, this this rhetoric that we have, that if you, um, you know, just the war, the minimum wage is enough to live on, it's it's obviously not. It's not enough. It's not just enough to, it's just, excuse me, it's not just not enough to live comfortably on, it's not enough to live on, period, especially if you have a family to support. So um, obviously not an unbiased book, um, but it's undercover reportage, and so I don't, you know, like, just like with the town has to I don't really know how you can, argue with a lived experience so that's nickel and dimed by barbara ehrenreich next one's you word oh it's me it me okay um so this is from lauren uh, i'm doing an around the year in 52 books challenge overlaps with read harder one item one item is to read a book about an antihero and i was hoping for some recommendations I love the Dresden Files, which is the major one I've read that fits the prompt, although I love the trope in general. I I also like most genres, fantasy, literary, fiction, sci-fi, and I'm willing to try anything. Bonus points for making it available on audio. I'm an art education student and knock out a lot of books while I'm painting or making stuff. Making stuff. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You go first. Okay. I don't want to talk anymore. (laughs) Uh, Fair. Um, First off, just like all the hearts for the Dresden
1: Files. Um, (laughs) uh, So my first pick for you, because you mentioned... um, Oh, classic mysteries and a bunch of other classic type books is stoner by john williams which is a book about a dude who does basically nothing like he's <gasps> not your typical anti-hero in that like like he's not the harry Dresden like reluctant like kind of actually like you know grumpy like but actually has a heart of gold thing like no william stoner is the main character of this book is, you know, uh, was born into a farming family, he goes to State University, he falls in love with English literature instead, and decides to become a teacher. And, like, that's basically the plot of the book. Like, mm-hmm. he's not saving anyone, he's not even really saving himself, um, he's not even making any big decisions, and yet, somehow, this book is great. Um, I, like, have <laughs> never been able to put my finger on what it is that I love about it, but... I really did love it. I read it and then I read it again, which I don't do very often. So, yeah, I mean it's it's just it's it's one of those beautiful like looks at a lived life, um whether or not that life is exceptional. So, you know, he gets married, uh his career kind of stops going anywhere. He has marital difficulties, um, there's, you know, politics in the department because he's a university d- professor, uh, and it's, it's like late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and it's just a very quiet, intense... Look at this one man's life. I don't know how else to describe it, and it sounds super boring. It sounds like the most boring book in the world. Um, But I thought it was great, and I feel like it would be very interesting to listen to on audio. I did check; there is a good, there is an audio for it. Um, And so, yeah, I like. It's like really hard to pitch because you're just like, yeah, sounds boring, sounds really dumb. It's really good, I swear. Uh, (laughs) So that's Stoner by John uh, John Williams.
0: I think you just pitched all of literary fiction. I mean, kind
1: of! It so is. Boring, it's boring, like, but it's great. I probably I know, exactly. And yet, sometimes people do pull it off, right? Like, yeah, sometimes no, people pull totally it right. off. So, that there's that.
0: So, I went down like a mental rabbit hole of trying to figure out how I define anti-hero to answer this question. And I guess where I landed is just um, somebody you really don't like who makes horrible, mean decisions, but who you are rooting for anyway. Uh, And that's every character in my first pick for this, which is The Sun by Philip Meyer. Um, This is a Western, you know, historical fiction. It it opens in the 1850s, I think, in Texas. And it's following several generations of a family. So if you're into, like, multi-generational sagas, which I absolutely am, this is a great pick for that. Uh, So the first main character is a boy named Eli who's 13 he lives with his family in the Republic of Texas on a homestead and then uh, a band of Comanche Indians come into his homestead kill his mother and sister take him captive and then he they kind of adopt him so he like grows up from 13 to adulthood living with the Comanche they give him a new name he learns to speak their language Um, he kind of becomes like the chief's adopted son he helps the tribe wage war against invading white men and so he grows up with this really splintered identity because he doesn't know where his loyalties lie basically so it's really interesting um in like racial stuff there and then disease and starvation and uh you know the invasion of america of like white americans decimate his tribe and he finds himself alone and then he has to make a place for himself in the world and he becomes this like oil baron through all of this cattle ranching and land grabbing and you know the the like in the dirt, gritty reality of making it in Texas in the early uh, night, or in the early 20th century, late 19th century, and then his family, continue, like they're all antiheroes. They're all awful, and they all make these really selfish and like ethically not ethically gray, ethically bad, like morally bankrupt people who make these decisions to uh, further their family and to further their personal. Lives, but they're all kind of understandable. Like in this context of if you don't make decisions like this, your family will starve, kind of stuff, you know. And if you don't make decisions like this, your the name your your name will disappear from the history books forever. Um, and so it's a lot about like legacy and whether or not we value legacy, whether or not it matters. Interestingly enough, the the last generation that this book follows um, is like the matriarch of the family in present day. She's an older woman. His Eli's, I think, great-granddaughter. Um, but she is also awful. Like, she's kind of villainous and dislikes her grandchildren intensely. But she's and she's a businesswoman making all of these decisions around her oil company to keep her family attacked. But she's awful. And she's totally anti-hero-ish. And you don't, I feel like you don't get as many female anti-hero characters as you do male. Um, anyway. So, yeah, if you like westerns, this one I recommend. It's The Sun by Philip Meyer. That's so good. Ugh. <laughs> I love it so much. I know, you I too. Like, I love know. books that, like, I hate everyone. Like, I really want horrible <laughs> things to befall every character, but I can't stop reading it. Those are just my favorite anyway. That's a whole other rabbit hole.
1: Well Genre Kryptonite. Sp- <laughs> yeah, right. Speaking of villainous women... Uh, this book, The Hottest Dishes of the Tartar Cuisine by Alina Bronsky, translated by Tim Moore. I sent this book to my mom for Mother's Day a couple of years ago with a card that said, thank you so much for not being a mom like this mom. Wow. <laughs> um, because the main character, Rosa... Is the actual worst. She's nasty. Yeah. She's kind of abusive. She is basically a sociopath, um, and she's one hundred percent convinced of her own rightness. So she the story starts with her discovering that her seventeen year old daughter, uh, who she just is the worst to, is pregnant um, and won't tell her who the father is, and so she doesn't want her to have the baby. She tries to get her to you know give it up, have an abortion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera um but the baby is born and rosa then becomes obsessed with the baby um and so she uh she first basically tries to steal her granddaughter from her daughter um, because, you know, she's horrible to her daughter. And then uh, she tries to broker a deal. They're living in the Soviet Union. um, And then she basically uses her granddaughter to broker a deal to get them out of the Soviet Union. uh, And they settled in, I believe, Germany. Um, And then it's, you know, everything like uh, the granddaughter runs away and like all of these terrible things happen and they're all Rose's fault. And she's like perpetually astonished that other people Don't agree with her, or like <laughs> won't just do what she thinks they should do. I live in that perpetual state of. So she for just is. <laughs> it's like kind of a. It's hilarious how. She's just like, I just don't understand why she won't do this crazy pants thing that, like, nobody (laughs) should do. And yet Rosa's like, why wouldn't you just do that? I told you to do that. Just do that thing. Um, And you're like, oh, my God, Rosa, you are the worst. And, like, it's, but it's really, it's very darkly funny. Um, It's also very sad. um, But in a, like, really page-turnery way. Uh, And I just, I mean, it was, it's, it's, you know, three generations of women, which is a thing I also really love. And yeah, you don't usually get women, not only women like this, but like, I don't want to spoil it, but like so okay don't spoil it so anyway you (laughs) don't usually get fem this level like we talk a lot about quote-unquote unlikable female characters when they're just women who aren't like roses and puppies and sunshine like this is a truly horrible woman you should not like her um and you don't usually get women like this with a story like this is all i will say without spoiling it so that (laughs) is the hottest dishes of the tartar cuisine by alina Bronsky.
0: Okay, my last pick for this one is The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri, and I'm pushing the definition of anti-hero a little bit here, um, but the main character is super unlikable to me. Some people, I don't, I I don't think, I think I'm, not everyone agrees with me about the unlikableness of this protagonist, but um, it's about a, like, first generation, okay, rewind. So, a couple in Calcutta get married. So a young man and a young woman, they get married. Ashoke and Ashima, I think is the mother's name. Uh, He is an engineer or some sort of very fancy profession. And they move together to Cambridge, Massachusetts. So Yes, he's an engineer, so they can work. So he comes... Um, they, he brings his wife here, and they start having a family. They have a son. They name him Gogol, after the Russian writer Nikolai Nicol, Gogol. Um, and then the book follows the, the family, and Gogol specifically the boy, as he's growing up, living in America, being the son of immigrants and the kind of very specific challenges and identity issues that he faces um, growing up. And like a lot of young people, like teenagers and adolescents, um, of any sort of background or immigration status, he's kind of the worst. Like, he's really ungrateful. He's really rude to his parents. He doesn't recognize the things that they've sacrificed to to bring, you know, to have him grow up here. Um, and he is a little insufferable. But then as he gets older he and, like, starts... He gets married and he has his own career and starts to realize what it takes to successfully, like, be a grown-up. And he starts to understand what his parents did for him and then like a tragedy strikes and he has to, all this other identity stuff comes up and I'm not going to spoil it for you um, by telling you what it is, but it's so beautifully written. Jabal Lahiri. man, like sentence by sentence is amazing. Um, And he's awful. Yeah. Google's awful. I really did. Have you read this?
1: I have not. I've read other Jabal but not this one.
0: Yeah, the, uh, her short stories, Interpretive Yeah, Mally's, I love yeah. her short
1: stories. Unaccustomed Earth. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. Just a moment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I mean, like, read anything of hers that um, exists. But this one, gosh. She writes such, such a sympathetic, awful person. Like, you feel for him, but also want to punch him in the face. So 90% <laughs> of the time. Um, so, yeah. So, that's The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri. The subtitle of this show could be Amanda's
1: violent Feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally like, totally one hundred percent feel you on. It's
0: going on my tombstone. Yeah, <laughs> Here lies Amanda. She had some violent feelings.
1: <laughs> All right, uh,
0: time for our second sponsor which
1: is Pinhole Press. So this is really neat, actually. This is a company, actually, this, no, it is really neat. Uh, So Pinhole Press is a game maker, and what they do is, remember those memory card games from when you were a kid where you, like, they're all face down and you flip them over and you try to match them up? they make a version of this that is customizable so you get to pick what the photos are Um, and you get the website which is very slick incorporates things from either your computer or it'll pull in your Facebook photos or your Instagram and then you pick the photos and they make and send you, I have my holding my cards right here, they sent us a code um, to try it out and they send you these cards it's your own customized memory game, Uh, it's super fun and they come out looking really nice the photos are very clear, I didn't really pay attention to the sizing of the photos when i was pulling them in and they all look good regardless um And I think it would be, like, the perfect gift for either a kid who, like, maybe you want to, um, do, like, family members who aren't around all the time so that they learn family member faces would be super fun. Or if you want to make a set for grandma and grandpa as, like, a keepsake, that would also be neat. And they do magnets as well, um, which I tried out because I could not help myself. Um, I love me a good customized magnet. And (laughs) I really do, this is, like, a thing I didn't know I loved until I was like, ooh, magnets. Um. And they also came out really nicely. Uh, So, yeah, so you can, and kids love looking at themselves, obviously. You could do all kinds of fun things with this customization. And memory games, super fun. Uh, very straightforward. So the, you, yeah, it'll pull them from any of your social channels you want. They come out looking really nice. You can send them as gifts. You can get them for yourself. It's a good deal. So if you go to pinholepress.com slash booked and enter the code booked at checkout, you will get 20% off your personalized memory game. So that's pinholepress.com slash booked, B-O-O-K-E-D. And if you put in the coupon code booked, you'll get 20% off. So this is just a fun, like, it's a fun thing for yourself for a gift. I dig it. Word. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You are up. Oh, it's me. Question. Okay, here we go. Continue. Sorry, I got least.
1: so t- I was like looking at my memory cards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so fancy. I know
1: they're very nice. Okay, question five. I uh, this is from Catherine. I just discovered the pop sugar reading challenge, which seems like a fun compliment to the read harder challenge. I think I've mapped out what I want to read for all the challenges except for one read a romance set in the future. I'm a total novice when it comes to romance novels. The only one I've read is The Bollywood Bride by Sonali Dev hearts, hearts, hearts <laughs> uh, which I loved. So I'm not really sure where to start with finding a book or books for this challenge. Any suggestions? OK, you go first. Okay.
0: Um, My first pick for this is Grim Space by Anna Gire, and it's the first book in a series. uh, It's like the Serentha Jax series, which is just the name of the main character. Um, So this is super, like, heavy science fiction, and the romance part is... Not secondary, but, like, the the big adventure that the character is going on is definitely, like, the primary plot point. Um, so the concept here is that Sarintha has the ability to jump ships through what's known as Grim Space. So if you, like, if you're familiar with Star Trek at all, when they go into hyperdrive and that, like, tunnel that they go through when they're going from one point to the other, in this universe, that's called Grim Space. And Ooh. so for ships, yeah, oh, it's very now. Nice. now. Um, and so for ships to, like, navigate through these, I guess, wormholes would be kind of what they are. Um, they need a, a navigator, somebody who's born with a carrier of a rare gene that makes them able to see obstacles in that, on that kind of road. And so she is that, she has that talent and it makes you like, you know, you're highly prized and the the corp, that, which it's the corp, like corporation is the government business entity thing that rules very heavy-handedly this entire world. Um, And also, oh, notably with this thing, the number of the more jumps you make, the um, like you have a set number of jumps you can make before you die. And you don't know what that number is until you reach your last one. Like you get hooked up to make your last jump and then you realize, oh, this is the one that's going to kill me, but it's too late to get out of it. And so it's like a really only people who both have the gene and are very um, risk prone and into gambling are the kind that's the kind of people who become these. Navigators. Anyway, so she's navigating. She has a co-pilot who she's in love with. There's a crash landing in the beginning of the book. Everyone dies except her. So she's in jail awaiting investigation to find out what happened in this crash, which killed, you know, everyone on board and the guy she was in love with, who was her co-pilot. Uh, so a group of, like, freedom fighters come in and break her out of jail. And in exchange, they want her help in overthrowing the government. But she doesn't know if she wants to do that and come to find out the new... Um, her new co-pilot like the guy who's in charge of this group of freedom fighters who is helping her fly this ship that she's on now, uh, lost a sister in the crash. And so he's got a lot of like anger towards her because he doesn't know if it was her fault or not, but he suspects it was. And then of course, these are the two characters that have the romance. It's very like, I hate you, I hate you, I love you, I love you, really, I hate you. Like at the same time, there may be a little more hatred than love in that, in that relationship, um, but they're both really smart assy. They're both really difficult. Sorantha is kind of a, like a space pirate sort of character. So she's really fun and um, mean in, in a way that I find highly entertaining. And yeah, it's just really great. It's a lot of, it's a fun and um, like scientifically interesting book. Which that's the thing I love about a good science fiction novel when they can nail the science in a way that is interesting to me and doesn't feel like they just invented a universe that makes no sense. The universe here makes a lot of like logical sense to me. So I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah. So that's Grim Space by Anne Aguirre. I never know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, I don't know either. I should ask her. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she's on Twitter. You can go talk to her. <laughs>
1: Uh, Okay, my first pick is Radio Silence, which is the first in the Off the Grid series by Alyssa Cole. I love this series. It's a near future, so it's not like spaceships and, you know, laser battles. It's like, you know, potentially like 20 minutes from now. Uh, Everything in the world goes off. Like, cell phones, power, running water, everything is just suddenly off. And nobody knows why. Um, And Arden, uh, who is the main character, she is a postgraduate student. She's living in Rochester uh, with her roommate, John. And they are just, like, obviously freaked out. Like, what do you do when you're in your mid-twenties and, like, the world suddenly goes dark? You can't call anyone. You can't Google it. Like, um, things, <laughs> you can't, you can't it. Google it. Things <laughs> are starting to get scary. So John's family lives in a cabin near the Canadian border. Like, it seems like they can get there. Um, and so they leave Rochester because the city is starting to get scary. And they trek through the wilderness uh, to get to the family cabin. Um, to cause, And also he's trying to figure out, like, are his family alive? Alive. And Arden is really upset because her mother is sick, and she was supposed to have gone and visited her on their last break and didn't. And so now, and they're, like, on the other side of the country. So now it's not only can she not get in touch with her family, but there's no way to get to them. So she's freaking out. They're trying to get to his family. And they when they get there, John's brother Gabriel becomes one of those people who Arden is both very interested in and really doesn't want to be. Uh, He's Uh a doctor. He's super type A. And um, (laughs) he kind of, there's an incident, I don't want to give any spoilers, uh, where, so he just kind of, he starts off not thinking very highly of her, let's say it that way. Uh, And so she, like, he doesn't like her, she doesn't like him. And they're all stuck in this cabin together. <laughs> and the parents go missing. Um, and so now, like, the younger generation has to try to figure out, like, what the heck is going on? They have to protect themselves from scavengers who are roaming the world because, of course, people are terrible. And when, you know, the rules and the lights go out, like, what happens next? Um, so I love this for a lot of reasons. It is it's it is a, like, I hate you, oh, I love you um, <laughs> kind of romance, which is really fun. It's like a... It's a little, I don't want to say claustrophobic, but, like, they're all stuck in this cabin together. There's no privacy. There's, like, weird family dynamics where, like, you're the roommate, and it's your roommate's family, and you don't know their stuff, and they don't know your stuff, and you're just trying to be, trying to make it work, which is a really interesting, like, tension that they have going on. Um, And then there's this added element of danger, like, trying to figure out the world that they're suddenly in. And I love this series because it, um, the next book is John's romance, um, and he's gay, so that's great. And then uh, the next next book is Maggie's Romance. So there's all of these great like levels to it. And in the meantime, Cole is exploring this question of like, no, really, what would happen if the world like just suddenly went dark, and like, why did it happen, and what would people be like? Uh, so it's a really fun thought experiment that is also a romance series. It's great. So the first one is Radio Silence by Alyssa Cole.
0: Okay, um, super fast so romance out of time. My second pick for you is "Slave to Sensation." I love the title. <laughs> <No! laughs> She's got Vin- good titles. Vanelini's thing. I know. There. I love them almost as much as I love Sarah McLean's style, yeah. but for entirely different reasons. Yeah. Like they're, they're just. They're not punny. They're just excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this world, there are two main like races of organisms, I guess. The Psy, who are people that um, have they have they're like linked psychically, and they have. Um, whenever, like psychic abilities, but they have no emotions or they've they been trained as a community to suppress all of their emotional stuff. So to have, like, if you exhibit any sort of emotions when you're psi, you're taken in to be rehabilitated, which means they just, like, remove the parts of your brain that make you you um, so that you don't have emotional reactions and don't, like, endanger the stuff that the Psy are up to. The other uh, race is called the, they're changelings, basically, which, you know, werewolves and stuff like that, people who can change into other animals. And the two main characters here are Sasha Duncan, who is the daughter of, one, of like, a really high-ranking person in the Psy government, and Lucas, who is the alpha of a tri- tribe, I don't even know, a uh, group? Pack. <laughs> Pack. pack, thank you. Pack of. I pointed at my microphone like you're sitting in front of me. <laughs> like, yes, that is correct. A pack. He's the alpha of a pack of changelings who change into ca- leopards or some sort of cat. Panthers. Jaguars. Yeah. Um, so he goes to the Psy headquarters, meets Sasha because they're doing some sort of business deal. But behind the scenes, what's actually happening is that there's a serial killer who they assume is a Psy who has been killing. Um, changeling women for the you know over the, the last couple of weeks and lucas is kind of determined to figure out who it is so he's going to try to use this business deal and his contact with sasha to figure out who the killer is and you know take revenge with his his big raging anger because <laughs> obviously i'm that was not a euphemism no <laughs> actual literal big raging yep. anger um because unlike the Sai changelings are very you know animalistic they have a lot of feels or whatever um And then Sasha has a secret. Her secret is that she actually does have a lot of feelings and has been working really hard and using, expending a lot of energy to keep them down and keep anybody in her community from finding out, which is difficult because they're all linked psychically. So she has to keep this to herself. Um, which becomes harder and harder. She becomes closer and closer to Lucas, of course. Because mm-hmm. they hate each other, love each other, hate each other, love each other. So um, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> there's, like, weird kind of species stuff happening. Uh, emotion versus logic stuff, which I haven't read since I read Dune in, like, high school. <laughs> um, totally different. Not like Dune. Not like Dune. Not like Dune. Uh, no sandworms. Nope. Although, really, any book would be improved by sandworms. Mm. Um, and, and the mystery, like, an actual... Who done it? that you are kind of along this ride for and you Nalani know, writes just like i mean it's super hot so if you're i don't know how, what you're looking for as far as like steaminess scale um but she's pretty up there i think like when you go from sweet to really really intense erotica she's i feel like sort of in the middle so that's slave to sensation by nalini singh which is the side changeling series is very long running so if you enjoy like what she's doing here you can keep going for many many books
1: yeah, uh, and it's, <clears throat> so she's got a new book coming out, mm, is it mm-hmm. this fall? It's called The Allegiance of Honor, and she wrote in the introduction to it, because I have the galley, she's like, this concludes season one of, you know, like what she considers season one of the Psy Changeling books, and that's like 15 books, Yeah, and she's yeah. like, and now we're going into season two, so there's a lot more coming, um, which delights me, personally. Yeah, me too. Okay, so my second pick for you is Ascension, which is the first book in the Tangled Axon series. It's by Jacqueline I And this book is amazing, because it's a poly-romance sci-fi novel. Wait, what? Starring a woman of color who has a chronic illness. What? Like, that's a combination you just basically never see. Uh, Alana Quick is an engineer, um, and she, like, lives for repairing starships. Like, it's her, she loves spaceships. She wants to go up in one. She's kind of earthbound and, and... repairing them as close as she can get. Um, and she's got this, um, she's, she's running. Okay. So she's running the business with, uh, her, is that her best friend or is it her aunt? Anyway, she's running the business and then this cargo vessel stops by and they're looking for her sister who's like, she hasn't talked to in a while. They kind of don't get along, but Nova has these like weird powers and they're looking for Nova and, um, Alana decides just to stow away. on the the starship. Um, And she's trying to prove... uh, She wants to prove to them that they should keep her on long-term as their engineer. Um, And then... Things start to get weird. Like, the chief engineer maybe thinks he's a wolf, and like, the pilot kind of <laughs> doesn't seem to always be in existence. And the captain, who's this like badass blonde, you know, boot wearing, ass kicking woman, uh, is incredibly attractive to Elena, but then also maybe is in a relationship. And then Nova complicates everything when she turns up. And it's really intense. There's a lot of action, and like, I did not see, it's not a spoiler, I don't think, I mean, people have described it this way online before, but I didn't see the polyangle coming, and I thought it was really well handled, and, uh, I mean, it's just so rare, and also the yeah. way that Koyanagi da- deals with Alana's chronic illness is Fantastic! It is so good, um, and like, cause she's an engineer, and her illness is it it impairs the use of her hands. She has a pain uh, and like crippling pain syndrome, um, and and it, all she wants to do is work with her hands, and this is the very thing that like her illness is going to take away from her. Um, and so how she deals with it is just freaking fantastic. This book, I guess it's I don't know that it's actually technically a romance, but it does have a happy you know happy mm-hmm. for now ending. So I think it counts and. Everybody but he should read it um I haven't read the rest of the books yet but I'm definitely going to so that's Ascension by Jacqueline Koyanagi
0: that is so interesting sounding to me the, the last poly book I read was a woman and twins oh which, yes yes interesting Whoa. yeah and I have twins so I went into that's it like a little, how am I gonna, yeah. I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this but you know I liked it it was um Aisha, uh, oh my gosh, her name is totally, whatever, I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Um, It's really good, but yeah, I'd like to try reading something from the genre that's not relatives. This, This
1: might be the only polyamorous book I've read, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure I've read another poly book, but this one's super good.
0: I really liked it. All right, that's our show hooray we did it (laughs) so thank you for listening um you can go rate us on itunes leave review if you like the show or if you don't you know whatever i accept all comers uh you can find us on social media i'm at i'm amanda nelson jen is at jen irl jen with two n's and she is back on twitter now so she will talk to you (laughs) Uh, and thank you to our sponsors pinhole press and book of the month club and do go check them out and yeah we'll talk to y'all next week crap where's my button i know me too